This episode of Cape Up is sponsored by MeUndies. Remember to visit MeUndies.com slash Cape Up to get 20% off the best and softest underwear and socks you'll ever own. Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Cape Up. Congress is debating a tax bill, or is it tax reform? What the hell is it? And does it do all the things President Trump and the Republican leadership says it does? I've got the perfect person to answer these questions, a self-described fiscal skunk at every party. Maya McGinnis, the president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. She explains the difference between tax reform and tax cuts, why what's being proposed is at least a good framework, and why leaving off the table popular deductions for things like state and local taxes and mortgages is bad for the nation's fiscal health right now. Maya McGinnis, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, Maya. So we're talking about tax reform or tax cuts. I'm not quite sure what's happening. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have no idea what it is that Congress is actually talking about, this bill um, that's now out there. Can you explain it to us? What's happening here? Fair point, good point, because I think that the talking points are in many ways meant to be confusing. Tax reform is when you change how you tax, what you tax, how much you tax, all in an effort mainly to grow the economy. So we want to reform our tax code, which is horribly outdated and built in a different economic period so that it's modernized and more appropriate for the economy today. Tax cuts mean that we're going to tax less. And so this whole exercise started with the Republican leadership saying we need to reform the tax code in a way that would increase growth, increase competitiveness, simplify the tax code, basically make a more sensible tax code. Everybody nods their head at that. Everybody who pays taxes, whether they're a company or an individual, knows how complicated and kind of um, frustrating the tax code is. But tax cuts have moved into the discussion because the problem with tax reform is that when you cut one person's taxes or one company's taxes, you have to raise somebody else's if you're actually doing revenue neutral tax reform. Right, which would be responsible, the responsible thing to. Well, yeah, you're you're making my main point there, right? Which is tax reform is exactly what you need, most particularly when you're in a bad fiscal time, which this country is. And let me just take a step back, but our country has near record levels of debt. Debt as a share of the economy is the highest it has been in this nation's history other than right when we came out of World War II. Our deficit is $666 billion, kind of an ominous number right there. Oh, yeah. Right? A little creepy. Yeah. Came out right before Halloween. <laughs> right. Um, and it's growing, and we're going to hit trillion-dollar deficits again soon. The fastest growing part of the budget is interest. No matter whether you're super conservative or super progressive, you want to cut cut spending, I mean, cut taxes or increase spending, spending your money on interest is not a great place to be putting it, yet it's the fastest growing part of the budget. And interest if, on what, though? Interest that we owe on the debt. Okay. So we borrowed so much, and even though interest rates are really low, we have trillions and trillions of dollars that we're paying interest payments on every year. And the broader that base of debt is, the more we're paying in interest payments. That's growing very quickly because the debt is so high and growing. And that's the final point. The debt is growing. If we do nothing, we are projected to, to borrow over another $10 trillion over the next 10 years on top of these near record levels of debt. So bringing that back full circle, that's why this is the moment we should be talking about tax reform. There's so many ways we should be improving the tax code to make us more competitive globally, 
to figure out what things we want to incentivize and tax more of instead of less of, but we sure should not be cutting taxes because that's going to add to the budget deficit. The budget deficit is already too high and growing, and the only real argument in favor of tax cuts as opposed to reform is that they're easy, and nobody in Congress is willing to make any of the hard choices right now. Tax cut. Tax cuts are easy, but let me go back. So your organization, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, put out a good, bad, and ugly analysis of the Cut, 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 Cut Act. I think it's <laughs> it's a lot of cuts, is what the, yeah. pre- the president wanted to right. call it. So walk through what's the good of what Congress is debating now. So the best thing is that we should be reforming the tax code, that our corporate tax is in fact one of the highest tax rates of all the countries that we trade with. And so bringing that corporate rate down would be useful because it would incentivize more companies to be here, more people to do business here. At the same time, our corporate tax revenue is incredibly low because even though that rate is so high, there are tons of corporate tax breaks. So what that means is the marginal tax rate is very high. The effective tax rate, how much they actually pay, can be quite low. So you want to change that. You want to make it so that there's lower taxes, lower tax rates, but you want to get rid of a lot of those loopholes. And you want to do it in a way that will promote things that help grow the economy. So the point being that the idea of tax reform makes a lot of sense. And another thing about the House bill, because I had been very worried When the Republicans passed their budget, instead of insisting on revenue-neutral tax reform, again, which I think makes a lot of sense, they gave themselves wiggle room. And that wiggle room is $1.5 trillion that they could actually cut taxes instead of offsetting the costs. Wait, what's the? how do you get wiggle room in a budget that has no actual wiggle room? And is that like, was it like a padding in the budget at one point? something trillion dollars? Yeah, no, that's a great question because when we pass budgets and when we pass budgets, because we don't always pass (laughs) them, oftentimes we're running our country with no budget, which in itself is worth a moment of, what? (laughs) We we run this country without a budget sometimes. But they did pass a budget. In fact, the fiscal year had already begun. But there's no requirements that that budget meet any particular fiscal goals. And so in this budget, they said, we are going to use reconciliation which is this complicated tool, but it allows things to pass in the Senate with just 50 votes. We're going to use reconciliation, and we are not going to cut any spending, despite the fact that Republicans for many, many years have been making the case that we need to cut spending and reform entitlements. None of that. But we are going to have this quote-unquote tax reform, but really it's going to be tax cuts because we permit ourselves to borrow $1.5 trillion in order to do that reform. I There's see. the padding. And, and le- I mean, trillion- Which is more borrowing. Padding is borrowing. Padding means we're not going to raise other taxes. We're not going to cut spending. We're going to borrow or we're going to have the cost shifted to the future generations. So this is the easiest of all choices. There's no real trade-offs or hard choices. It's just saying we will finance this with a deficit. We will borrow this money. One and a half trillion, hard to get your arms around a trillion, but suffice it to say, this is a mammoth amount of borrowing. The debt is really dangerously high already, and we're going to add a huge amount in one fell swoop if they do this in this tax bill. So this shift from tax reform to these big $1.5 trillion worth of tax tax cuts is very large. I'm just sort of mystified, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, that after eight years of 
yelling at President Obama about the deficit. And then I guess the last two years or so of George W. Bush's term of Republicans being upset with him because he spent so much that now that they're in control of the House and the Senate and the White House, suddenly Republicans in deficits. What? What? What's the problem? (laughs) You know, let's focus on that for a minute, because I find it one of the most disheartening things about what's going on right now. And so I'm a political independent. Our organization is bipartisan. Our uh, focus has always been on fiscal responsibility. There's a lot of ways to be fiscally responsible. And fiscally responsible, by the way, doesn't mean big government or small government. It means paying for government. But our general belief has been in order to deal with this massive debt that we have, we're going to need some kind of a big grand bargain where everything's on the table. We cut spending, we reform entitlements, and we raise more revenue. So in that model, Republicans have traditionally been much better talking about the need to control spending and indeed to do something about big entitlement programs, Social Security and Medicare are not on stable financial fitting. We do have to make changes. And every time people say that they don't, honestly, they're not telling the truth. Changes have to be made to those programs. We can differ on what kind of changes they are, but they need to be made. So Republicans have tended to be more responsible bringing those issues to light. Democrats have been much more responsible saying revenues will have to be part of the solution. We're an aging population. We can't fix this on spending cuts alone. The idea of a no new tax pledge, for instance, is preposterous. The numbers just don't add up. So Republicans have the House, the Senate, and the White House. And certainly it then makes sense that the budget deals they put forward are going to reflect their values more. So I was fully anticipating this was going to be a budget where I would say, well, It's pretty heavy on the spending and the entitlements, pretty light on the revenues, but okay, it moves us in the right direction. But this massive 180 that has occurred is that budgets that Republicans insisted reach balance for the past, I think, seven years, they just adopted a budget that doesn't reach balance. The party of spending cuts has 47 trillion, with a T, dollars in spending over the next 10 years. And guess how much they aspire to save out of 47 trillion? This is I, this is quite a number. One billion with a B. That's like a nickel in your pocket. It's not it's close nothing. to a nickel. Oh, okay. It's not <laughs> even close to No, really, one billion out oh of forty seven trillion. You sort of just think, how do you say you're a party of small government and spending cuts if you finally have the chance to really do it. And this comes after years and years of passing budgets that insisted on these things when they knew that they were just going to be on paper. And here's the real budget, and there's no spending, there's no entitlements. So that's been really disheartening. And I think it's a moment that Republicans have to look in the mirror and say, if I'm not really willing to put forward the policies for smaller government, how do I continue to argue that that's my belief? Okay, so we were talking about the good, although we got sort of sidetracked Mm-mm. into like how horrible things are. We got are. sucked into the bad, didn't into we? Bad. So then now let's talk about the bad. What's bad about this? Let me go back to good because I don't think I did enough for good because oh, we started okay. talking about there, bad. Okay. But the good is we should reform the tax code. There are many ways to do that would help that would help grow the economy. And our economy is not going to be growing as much in the future, in the next decades, as it was recently because the aging of society, all the baby boomers are moving into retirement. So we need to do everything we can to grow the economy. And President Trump has actually laid out a lot of the right things we need to do. We need to reform the tax code. We need to change our regulations. Some need to be fewer, some need to be more, but we need to look at our regulatory burden in this country. Um, We need to look at infrastructure and how we spend in the public sector. I would add we need a big debt deal and that bringing our debt down will help promote growth. But there are a lot of things we need to do for a comprehensive tax plan. Reforming our tax code is the first step. The framework that the Republicans have laid out 
is the right one. It's making big reforms on the on the corporate side that would help promote growth. The problem is the details, that it's not paid for. And when you add to the debt, that decreases growth. So all the growth we're going to get from tax reform right. could be undercut by the increases in the national debt. So what we really need, the key here is paying for it. And that's where we go from the good to the bad. They did actually a much better stab at paying for this tax plan than I was anticipating. There's about $4 trillion in real offsets, and those are base broaders, getting rid of tax breaks that exist in our tax code. And those are hard choices. And I, okay, good. Here we I'm go. glad you brought it up because I, I was looking at some of the things that you're like, these are good things. Eliminate the state and local income and sales tax deductions, mortgage interest deduction, property tax deduction, higher education tax benefits. I mean, justify how that's the good. How is that good? Because people listening might be like, oh, my God, that's right. That's bad for me. So this is the very difficult case to be made. And I kind of wish politicians were helping out more in this because (laughs) they they want a pro growth tax plan, which I think is the right thing. But they've been billing it as a cut for the middle class. That's actually not what tax reform does. What tax reform does is it grows the overall economy. And if it's distributed fairly, which we hope it will be, but there's no guarantee, but we hope it will be, then it actually is a raise for people. Their wages get higher. So tax reform isn't about cutting your tax bill. It's about growing the economy so that you're earning more money. But the way that that's paid for is going after tax loopholes, which everybody nods at because loopholes sound bad. But then when you say what a loophole is, like you just listed, they're really popular tax breaks. Mm -hmm. So the case, and it's a hard one to make, but is many of these tax breaks are regressive, meaning they give much more money to people who are well off than those who aren't. They pay us to do things we would do anyhow. They subsidize things that we really shouldn't be subsidizing, and they're not resources well spent. They're inefficiently allocated, so they actually don't help growth. So the first example, the state and local tax deduction. If you live in a state where you pay a lot of taxes, you do not want to get rid of this tax yeah, break. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. That's, that's yeah. right. Pretty beloved by anybody who's paying high taxes. That, on the other hand, if you live in a state where you're paying lower taxes and you're getting less for it, by the way, so in New York, you're getting more health care, you're getting better schools, you're getting all those things that those taxes pay for. If you're living in a low tax state, that tax break means you're subsidizing people in high tax states. So one thing we have to start seeing is that every tax break is a subsidy from one group to another. So low tax states are subsidizing highest tax states. Take another one, the home mortgage interest deduction, which is everybody's favorite tax break. It is the only thing that makes the day you're paying your taxes possibly a manageable day because you're like, well, thank God I'm not paying this amount of tax because of my interest. Unless you're a renter. Renters don't get those tax breaks. Renters usually are younger, less well off, and they're subsidizing people who live in homes. There are a couple absurdities about this tax break, but one, it goes up to mortgages of a million dollars. It also subsidizes vacation homes. So just picture this. Can you imagine a senator coming down to the Senate floor today and saying, you know, I have a whole new government program I really want to start. It's giving vouchers for vacation homes. (laughs) Right? Kind of preposterous. Well, not these days. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's true. Maybe it would pass. But I I take your point. But a lot of these tax breaks do things that would actually never pass muster if you're thinking about them as what they are, which is real spending programs through the tax code. Every dollar we don't collect in taxes because of one tax break, we either have to collect from somewhere else or we add to the debt. 
So the point of going through these tax breaks, and I know they're popular, and I know I'm not going to convince people we need to reform them right now, but every dollar spent on those is a dollar we couldn't spend on actually lowering tax rates, which is a smarter way because it helps to grow the economy, or to keep from borrowing, which is something we need to do. This episode of Cape Up is sponsored by MeUndies. MeUndies will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. With tons of styles and patterns to choose from for both men and ladies, MeUndies will have the perfect fit for any personality. And for a limited time only, check out MeUndies' first ever glow-in-the-dark print, Lights Out. To get 20% off the best and softest underwear and socks you will ever own, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash CapeUp. That's MeUndies.com slash CapeUp. All right, I want to take you back to one thing, and then we got to get to the ugly. The whole argument about subsidizing the people in the low Mm -hmm. tax states are subsidizing people in the high tax states. You know, I moved here from New York, and the big thing in New York is we send X number more dollars to Washington than we get back. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that true? It is true. It's true. So how do, true. why doesn't that translate to this tax discussion? Right. Because the reason that New Yorkers send more money to Washington than people who live in Arkansas is because... Then they get back then, from And then Washington. they get back is because we have a progressive tax and spend system. Not as progressive as it looks because uh, it's not as progressive on the spending side, but certainly on the tax side, it is a progressive system where we have decided to set up a system where people who are more well-off will pay a bigger share of their income. People who live in New York are richer than people who live in Arkansas. People who live in California are richer than people who in, who live in Louisiana. And as a result, they send more to Washington than they get back. That's something this, this country has decided to do, that people who have done well are gonna p- have, help people who haven't done as well. So what's interesting about this tax break is it's the reverse. A lot of these tax breaks are the reverse. Again renters subsidizing people who have million-dollar mortgages isn't clear that it makes sense. But the other thing is that it subsidizes that behavior. So that's why the National Association of Builders and Realtors are outraged about bringing that home mortgage interest deduction down from a million to half a million, because this ends up being a lot of money that's pushed into housing instead of other things, and it pushes up the profits in those industries. Hmm. Likewise, a lot of people would argue that the state and local tax deduction subsidizes higher taxed state governments. So it's complicated. It's I can see I haven't yeah, I convinced <laughs> you. No, no, no. <laughs> For I, people look, who can't see to... your face, you are not quite buying well, into this. Well, actually, Maya, it's not that I'm not buying it. It's like I'm try- I'm that kid in the middle part of the classroom who's like desperately taking notes, trying to make sure he's following he's following along. Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. It's it's been harder than it should be to explain this. I haven't been good at explaining this because it is really complicated. No, you're great. You're but great at explaining it. It's the, the macro pieces. We have over one and a half trillion dollars in tax breaks in our code every single year. If we are willing to wipe those out, we could bring our tax rates down so low, I think probably to 12 and 15 and 20, maybe 25 percent, bring the rates down massively. Then we could look through them again and think, does this actually make sense? Do we want to subsidize vacation homes? Do we want to subsidize mortgages up to a million dollars? Or should maybe we just have a housing credit or something that subsidizes people, first-time home buyers? couple things that are more targeted. We could save a lot of money, bring those tax rates down significantly. And the result of that, and this is the less tangible thing, but 
um, important thing is it would grow the economy. And we need to be finding ways to grow the economy. But I guess the final point I would make before we move on from these tax breaks, yes, to because it's too much. Yeah, let's get, to the, get ugly. to the ugly. Um, every tax break is really supported by everybody who gets it, but it's also supported by huge industries, many of which are based around those tax breaks. Just think about it this way. If you have a massive industry and it's just backed by, you know, hundreds of tax lobbyists defending their tax break, do you really believe that that's doing as much good for sort of the normal taxpayers we think? Or is that ultimately a subsidy that's helping the, those industries or helping certain segments that maybe aren't just middle class taxpayers as a talking point goes? I'll take that as a rhetorical question. So then, <laughs> okay, so then okay, the, 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 uh, the ugly. ugly about what's proposed. The ugly has been the pivot from tax reform to tax cuts. Tax reform makes so much sense. It's not easy. It creates some winners and it creates some losers, but it's overall a really good thing to do. Tax cuts basically is everybody pays less in taxes today and we borrow that from our kids. And that just isn't the way that we want to be stewards of our own economy. It really is never supposed to be this Robin Hood effort where the next generation gives to this generation. That's completely backwards from what one would aspire to be. So this tax plan borrows probably after you look at interest and a bunch of the gimmicks close to $2 trillion. Um, and that's the really ugly part of it. Part of the way that they do that is there's some gimmicks in this tax plan that are very troubling. Things that expire that they know won't really expire. So on the business side, expensing expires after five years. That's not going to happen. No businesses can plan around that. And once this bill moves into the Senate, it's likely that some of the biggest rate cuts, either for individuals or corporations, will also expire. The whole point of tax reform is to add permanency and continuity. But because lawmakers aren't willing to kind of make the hard choices or deal with the budget they're constraints. They're not courageous. They're not that courageous. They're not, they're not willing to do tough things. They're not willing to tell us the truth on what we need to do to make something responsible. We're going to have these crazy expirations throughout this tax code. That means the whole purpose of building permanence and continuity will be lost. And that is a real problem with this plan. One of the things that's not in the in the current bill, but is being actively discussed to help pay for this, is repealing the individual mandate from the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. And by doing that, it's long been argued that if you do that, you basically gut uh, Obamacare. Does that even make sense? It might make sense budgetarily or, or fiscally, but when you put that decision into the larger sphere of what's happening, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I mean, it may help in terms of making the numbers add up in a spreadsheet, but you want to think bigger than that. You want to think about what we're trying to do is a comprehensive overhaul of the tax code to make it make more sense so we can tax in a smarter way. Taking the mandate piece, which is like pulling one of the threads out of our healthcare system that, as we know from the past months of trying to replace it, repeal it, reform it, all those things, incredibly complicated. This seems like it's going to add about 27 layers of new complications to a tax overhaul that's already really complicated. So do I want tax pay-fors? Absolutely. But do I think that adding a really complicated piece from a whole nother segment of the budget that we've been trying unsuccessfully to reform is going to make passing tax reform easier? I do not. I think this is a very complicated pay-for to add into the mix right now. Can this, what we're talking about, the Cut, 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 Cut Act, can it work or happen without having the repeal of the individual mandate a part of it? Absolutely. And here's what we need to do. So they've laid out a framework. 
This framework is one and a half to two trillion short. What we need to do is get rid of more of those tax breaks that I didn't quite convince <laughs> you we should get rid of, but we should. Or here's an idea. How about limiting those tax breaks as a share of our income or as a dollar amount so that nobody gets more tax breaks than X dollars? What if we just said, instead of going after all these tax breaks, we're going to say out of those one and a half trillion dollars in tax breaks every single year, we really can limit how much any one person gets and limit it in a progressive way. So do more to offset the cost of the tax bill. And then I don't think we can have some of the rate reductions as aggressive as they have. So the corporate tax rate is going down to 20% from 35. I'll tell you what, if we had a corporate tax rate of 25, 26%, it would be a huge improvement. Definitely make more corporations want to stay here, diminish the risk of inversions, help things tremendously, and you could save a lot of money. There's a lot of tax cuts in a spill that I think we can get rid of. We do not need to get rid of the estate tax. That, for instance, is one of the pieces that you could save some money, and there's already a lot of sort of conflicts about whether there's support for that. But I would think you could get rid of some of these pieces and focus on the things that are most likely to grow the economy and pay for those, that's how you fix the tax bill. You could certainly do spending cuts as well, but I would talk about spending cuts where there's more broad-based support rather than throwing the whole bomb of opening up kind of the, the mandate piece that we've just spent the past months litigating. As you mentioned earlier in, in our discussion, this is a, a nonpartisan or, or bipartisan. Bipartisan. A, a bipartisan. I am nonpartisan. You're... It's bipartisan. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so you work with members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. Has anyone on the Hill been smart enough to bring you into the room as they were devising this this plan and say, give us your, your thoughts of what we should be doing? Yeah. So we've spent a great deal of time working with members in the Senate, members in the House, giving them tons of ideas because the things that we want to do and we advocate for usually are the least popular. That's the, that is the tough role of being the fiscal yes. skunk at every party. But we're saying pay for everything. And by the way, tax cuts don't pay for themselves. And also spending doesn't pay for itself. And free lunch economics doesn't work. But instead of just complaining and whining, we spend as much time as possible coming up with long ideas of lists of things for how you could help pay for these things. So yeah, we've shared with all sorts of members of Congress whether they wanted them or not. But <laughs> a lot of them did. A lot of people have reached out and said, how would we make this plan more fiscally responsible? So we've gone through the different ways that you could broaden the base. We've gone through the different kinds of spending cuts that could offset the, the cost of this. We've gone through parts of the tax reform bill that could scale, be scaled back, but still reach those purposes, those stated goals of tax reform. And there's certainly a way to square this circle so that it could all add up. Um, I think part of the problem is in a hyper-partisan environment where nobody wants to be the first person to talk about doing something difficult, it's hard for anybody when they're working in a one-party way to make those hard choices. So I think Republicans have a right to go ahead and do this on their own, but I think they might get more cover if they brought in Democrats and they tried to make a bipartisan bill and included those pay-fors. And how optimistic are you that Congress will get this bill or any tax reform bill to President Trump's desk with no deadline here, because I know he wants to do it by Christmas. And that's it's like 12 working congressional working days to get something this big and complicated done. <clears throat> Excuse me. But do you think we could be seeing a signing ceremony of a tax reform bill? So you're right. I agree completely. The artificial deadline is meaningless. This has nothing to do with when we get it done. It's about getting it done right. I am reasonably certain that something will get done but I am 
concerned that it won't be something that's good. So I think tax cuts is doable and will probably get passed. But something that's really close to paid for and therefore helps grow the economy is a lot harder. I don't have as much faith in our political system right now as I wish I did to make those choices. But because it's doable, I see a possibility of that as well. But I don't think they're going to walk away without having made some changes to the tax code. I just keep my fingers crossed that there'll be ones that are good for the budget and good for the economy. Maya McGinnis, president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, or as you said, the skunk at every (laughs) budget party. (laughs) Maya, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.